Omicron is spreading across the world. But how will we know when it's here? And what can we do about it? Scientists at home and abroad are searching for the Omicron variant. This week, I talked to Scott Wen and Janice Doss at the DC Department of Forensic Sciences. They are medical technologists who are sequencing for the new variant in DC. Janice and Scott explain this process of sequencing and how it helps fight the pandemic. So as we start, I'd really love to just walk through really what sequencing is. So sequencing is determining the genetic code of an organism. An analogy I like to use for sequencing is um, if you have a document or a picture that's been shredded into millions and millions of pieces, those represent the DNA reads that are coming off of our instruments. And our job as bioinformaticians is to take these little pieces of the puzzle and reassemble them to get a big picture and get basically the genetic blueprint of the organism. So sequencing is basically just trying to determine what chromosome of an organism is, and that actually helps us in epidemiology and traceback investigations, and also to kind of determine how the organism or how the virus or whatever we're studying may interact with us. And then just to kind of specify down in on Omicron, you know, what really makes this variant unique? What are you looking out for when you're sequencing this data? Well, there are certain mutations that are associated with Omicron, and it does have a lot more mutations than other known variants. However, I think we don't really know what characteristics it's going to have based on those mutations yet. I know that they're working on a lot of research right now to figure out is it really more transmissible? Is the disease severity different? Is the mortality different? But I think we just really don't know yet. Right. And then where do these tests that you all sequence, where do they come from regionally, zip code wise? So they come from all over DC, from hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, homeless shelters, a lot of different places. When they come in to us, they go through a sessioning, then they go through a rather long process of preparing that sequence for sequencing. So it's not just um, throwing it on the sequencer, you have to extract the RNA and then we um, convert that to DNA and then you have to amplify that. And then the procedure for even preparing that to go on the machine is rather lengthy. So if you know someone gets COVID-19, would they ever know what variant they have? Well, it takes at least a week usually from the time a sample is collected until we actually have the sequence analyzed. So probably the person would be recovered by then and it wouldn't really be useful for treating them. However, we can use this information for a lot of important things like creating vaccines in the future. For instance, I know they're already working on vaccines that incorporate Delta and even Omicron into them. So I think that especially if this virus becomes endemic and is just going to be here each year, uh, we're going to really rely heavily on sequencing data for determining um, what the vaccines should look like. So how does sequencing track new variants of COVID-19? If a variant is emerging by sequencing, you can kind of detect the first wave like, hey, uh, against this backdrop of all deltas, we're starting to see an increased signal of another variant. Let's keep a closer look on this. And if you see, as, as you go from one week to one week, you can see that if that particular variant is increasing a number against a delta backdrop, 
that's that's where you know, people start to go well we really need to kind of uh, take a closer look at this and this might be a variant of concern it's starting to outcompete a variant that's already pretty well fit so that's what surveillance does by sequencing and you know this is why there's a national effort to have at least five percent of all positive cases and dc is doing pretty good with mm-hmm. our percent. Do yeah. you know what that is right now? We're about 7.9 or 8 percent of all our positive cases have been sequenced here by all entities in the district. It's almost like, I like to use also analogies from National Weather Service, but it's almost like the National Weather Service, they release uh, weather balloons every day to test the atmosphere. So if you see that there's a cold front coming through in Oregon and then the next day someone in Nebraska releases a weather, uh, a weather balloon and say, hey, the, there's a cold front coming, you can sort of expect that there's a wave coming, there's a cold front coming through to D.C. or down to Georgia or wherever. So with sequencing, we can actually see variants that are starting to spread around more efficiently at certain locations. And maybe that serves as a warning signal to either other countries or other regions like, hey, um, you know, be aware that there might be a more infectious variant coming your way. Right. And can you all take me back to Thanksgiving day slash evening when this new variant was really announced? You know, you all work in a lab that sequences. I'm sure you guys kind of knew, could read the tea leaves when these first reports were coming out. Can you just take me back to that moment? Well, there's often new variants that people get concerned about because they see it on the news. And so we always get asked about new variants that pop up. So I didn't know it was going to be so big, but I think I just, you know, texted Scott and I was like, oh, Looks like this is something we're going to get asked about on Monday. <laughs> yeah, I, Here I was, we are. I was walking around the streets of Philadelphia on vacation, and I get this text message from Janice. And uh, when I saw that there were this new variant that the media was talking about, uh, I just thought, oh, here we go again. You know, this <laughs> happened with Delta, and this happened with B117 or Alpha as well. You know, um, there will always be new variants coming up, and you know, people do you know, react. Yeah, we always knew that something else would come out after Delta. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Scott said, oh, one day we're going to, you know, see a sample as Delta and say, oh, it's just Delta. <laughs> Don't worry about it because it'll be like not as bad as the next thing. Yeah. Wow. And I think it's interesting to hear from y'all's perspective as sequencers. I'm not sure if that's an official name, but I think it caught us as you know, lay people very surprised. When Delta came around, I don't think there was as much noise. Yeah, I think that there wasn't as much excitement when Delta first came out because we didn't know how big it was going to get. And now that we look back and we see, I mean, it went from, you know, nothing to being 99% of samples. Now with Omicron, we are expecting that to happen again. So that's why there's so much talk about it. But we don't really know what's going to happen with Omicron because there have been some uh, variants that have emerged that ended up just fizzling out. So I think it's really interesting being in the middle of something as you're studying it because we're learning more about how this virus acts while we are experiencing it. Right, right. And Scott, it seems like when you speak about, you know, COVID-19, it seems like you have a familiarity with this virus on a sort of level that's different than, again, lay people do. It's the scientific perspective. So tell us from your perspective, really, what this virus is and how it acts so we can know how it'll go forward. I guess a good way of looking at it, and this is really simplifying the biology of the virus big time, but I like to use this analogy a lot too. Imagine if you have an office document 
that's 10 pages long. The first page says, uh, take this document, make 10 copies of it, and give it on to 10 other offices. If you have received this document, do not accept this document. So that's a very simplified view of the biology of the virus. So as it spreads from office to office, you're gonna get this document reproduced 10 times over. But you can also imagine that, at least from our perspective, when we sequence, we actually see this data. Uh, let's imagine that an intern spills coffee on the document. So now you have a coffee stain in a portion of the document that will get replicated over and over and over. By sequencing, we can actually see where that mutation arises or where the particular variant is circulating. So if a Florida office where they spilled coffee, you can go, hey, you know, because I'm sequencing around Georgia, I see that uh, this re is related to this office in Florida. And of course, every mutation will be a little different. You know, maybe an office in California, maybe there's a little scribble mark in a corner of the paper and you can see how that replicates and spreads around the country. And going back to the analogy, most mutations has no impact on the virus. So a coffee stain in the bottom right portion of the document does nothing. It's still the same document. However, let's pretend with that mutation, somebody spills coffee on the do not accept this document if you had already received this. If the not was scribbled out or if there was coffee stains on it, you know, that increases the fitness of that particular document. Now, offices that had already previously received this document will accept it and make copies of it. So that's sort of like a... Uh, advantageous mutation, you can say. And that's what sequencing does. Like it allows us to see what's circulating around. There's different changes that occur just because you're spreading this around to 10 different offices, right? Uh, there will be changes you can track and go, hey, you know, we're seeing this data emerge in real time. Janice and I build trees. We constantly see this data coming in. And this is not just us either. This data is shared internationally through GISAID, which is a uh, semi-open genome repository that allows us to track these mutations. And that's how Omicron was found. People were scouring through the database looking for new signatures, new uh, mutations that you know, may have popped up in other lineages that might go, hey, you know, we're seeing a lot more mutations than normal for the spike gene. We should take a closer look at this. And this is how Omicron was found. Yeah. You know, in the movies, the monster is always like really big, really strong, really fast, huge teeth and claws. But actually, in reality, sometimes it's the smallest and simplest things that are the most dangerous. And um, the structure of SARS-CoV-2, the, the virus that causes COVID, is actually very simple. It's really just the RNA, which is the genetic material, surrounded by the nucleocapsid, which is the, the protein sphere around that and then the spike proteins sticking up out of that. And, you know, but even though it's so simple, like sometimes simplicity is just a really beneficial thing for an organism. So I like to think about in The Sword and the Stone, the Disney version, we have um, Madame Mim, who when she's fighting Merlin, she turns into a dragon and then Merlin turns into a virus and infects her and that's how he defeats her. So. Viruses are very simple, but they use that to their advantage. This week, I also talked to the director of infectious diseases at MedStar Washington Hospital Center, Dr. Glenn Wartman. This past summer, we talked about how to deal with the Delta variant. And this week, we covered Omicron. 
All right, so Dr. Wartman, just this past week, I spoke with Scott and Janice at the DC Department of Forensics, and they are bioinformaticians, a new word I've learned, and they're sequencing for the Omicron variant. And despite not having detected you know, a single case of the variant, they are urging everyone who is eligible to get vaccinated and to uh, get boosted. But humbly, they said they're not you know, doctors. So I gave you a call. As a doctor, do you echo them in, in really recommending that people get the vaccine and get boosted in light of this new variant? Absolutely. I mean, even before this uh, variant was detected, in most populations, boosting is a great idea. The data shows that over time, especially if you're in a high-risk group, elderly, underlying healthcare conditions, the two doses is not enough. And you needed that third dose of the mRNA vaccine. And in discussions um, that I've been following with and some of the epidemiologists I've been following, they talk about this distinction between, you know, antibody protection and then T-cell protection. And I'm not sure if you could spell that out for us, you know, what those two different types of protections are that the vaccine provides and how they could be useful, whatever, you know, we discover or we find out about Omicron. Sure, I'll try. Although, you know, immunologists know the most about this, vaccinologists but in general, there are two arms to the immune system. Um, there's kind of the antibody-based arm, and then there's the cellular-based arm. And usually with the antibody-based one, we can measure that. Labs can measure levels of antibody. The other one, the cellular-based one, really takes specialized labs to measure. They both help protect us with infections. And the hope is with vaccination, both those arms are stimulated and will help prevent us from getting sick from COVID. And as we've known since the beginning, vaccines are not the only, you know, types of mitigation efforts. And so as we go into this winter, Delta is surging even before we heard about this new variant. And this new variant very well might surge itself. So what other mitigation methods would you recommend or would you point out to listeners? It's really back to basics. With vaccines, I think it's very important for people to recognize vaccines do not prevent us from getting infected. So what they do is they prime our immune system to recognize an infection, attack it before it makes us sick. So it is completely expected that if you're fully vaccinated and you're exposed to COVID, you're probably going to get some COVID in your nasal passages. You may get sick and then your immune system wakes up. It's been primed, but it'll prevent you from getting pneumonia and dying. That's the whole idea with vaccination. So the vaccine is sort of a backstop. What we need to do is prevent ourselves from actually getting infected in the first place. And the way you do that is staying away from crowds, wearing a mask if you're out in public, and trying to do those basic shoe leather things to just not get infected in the first place. If you do get infected, then the vaccine's there to stop you from dying. But it's really, a, it goes hand in hand. Right. And here in the D.C. area, we have you know fairly high vaccination rates. How do you think that the D.C. area will fare with the current rules that are in place? I, I think it's tough to tell. I, I mean, I think everyone that's tried to make predictions about COVID has been wrong. You know, it's a new virus and we're learning and we adjust. We learn, we adjust. You know, I think the concern is after Thanksgiving and then as we get into the winter holidays that our cases may go up as people are mingling more. In our own area, cases are starting to creep up a little bit. Um, in mid-October, they were great. They were really low, but they're coming back up and they're coming back up kind of nationwide right now. Right. And there's been this distinction between concern and panic. I'm not sure if you could situate that distinction medically for us. Yeah, I think concern is where you try and recognize what's in front of you and then make rational decisions. 
Panic is wanting to run around with your hair on fire. And, you know, panic doesn't do any good. So, you know, this Omicron is coming. Uh, we're getting into winter season. I wouldn't be surprised if our numbers go up. But the rational thing to do is to get vaccinated um, and then to take some basic safety protections so you don't get infected in the first place. And in this time of uncertainty with Omicron, I think all of us are kind of hungry for some sort of information on what to know. Do past pandemics or past viruses tell us anything, you know, the history of pandemics? What can we maybe pull from that just for some sort of perspective in this time of uncertainty? Yeah, you know, predictions are, are always tough, or there's some famous Yogi Berra quote about that. Um, but I, I wouldn't make a prediction. What we could hope for, you know, what would be best is you'd hope for over time the virus mutates to become less pathogenic. Because really what the virus wants to do is spread from person to person. That's it's trying to keep itself alive and just spread from person to person. It doesn't do the virus any good to kill us. So what's supposed to happen is the virus mutates into a more benign form, becomes a common cold. That's the hopefully the long-term outcome. No one knows if that will happen. Right, right. And this past week, President Biden announced this new sweeping plan. As we are in this time of uncertainty, it provides free at-home testing, you know, vaccine, family clinics. Do you think those will help at all? I think they're fantastic. I mean, one of our Achilles heel this whole time has been diagnostics. And I remember in the very beginning, we, we couldn't even test. People were coming in the hospital and does he have COVID? I don't know. I don't have a test. And then we couldn't get tests and then they were rationed and limited and we're still not where we need to be. This is a great step. If you have at-home testing, then if you feel sick, you can just test yourself at home. You don't have to go out and drop $25, $50 and go somewhere and get tested. So I think that's a great step. Yeah, and as we you know enter the second stage of the holiday season, do you see testing as you know kind of a good way to just mitigate the spread between people you love? Absolutely, COVID can be very subtle. You know, some people have no symptoms, some people have mild symptoms, and so if you had a readily available test in your home and you could quickly test yourself, so let's say you have company coming over tomorrow for dinner, you could do a quick test on yourself before they come over, and make sure you're negative before you have grandma come into your house. To me, that seems like a great uh, plan. And also within that plan, there was mention of you know these antiviral pills that still haven't been FDA approved. What are your thoughts on those pills and therapeutics? Is that kind of a glimmer of hope? I think it is. You know, the pill that was recently reviewed, I don't know how that's going to pan out. The efficacy looked to be about 30%, uh, not as nearly as good as we need. The second one has reported better results, although it hasn't been formally you know vetted by the FDA for approval. So we'll have to see what happens after the FDA reviews all the data and what the recommendations look like. I think it's important for people to recognize those pills need to be taken very early in infection. So it looked like within three to five days, it means you have to recognize you have symptoms, you have to get tested, and then you have to get the drug within three to five days. It's not going to help me in the hospital. You know, the patients I'm seeing in the hospital, it's too late for those kind of pills based on the data that's available right now. So it's a glimmer of hope, but it's not going to be endgame for the virus. Speaking of endgames of the virus, it's looking like there might not be. You know, it's really just going to become endemic, and these measures will, will just be ones that we'll become more and more familiar with. Is that accurate? I think so. You know, I think we were all hoping when the vaccines came out that that would be it. We'd be done and move on. 
Uh, but what it looks like is we're probably going to see these waves that come and go. You know, we have to remember it's a big world and there are, are a lot of areas of the country, of our country and whole continents that have terrible vaccination rates. And those areas will always be areas where COVID is going to break out, spread, and then may uh, spill into our areas. That's what we see with other infections such as mumps, measles. We periodically see outbreaks in our own country because there are pockets where there's no vaccination. And so we see an outbreak there, then it spills out into the vaccinated population because the vaccines don't have 100% protection. So I, I think we're going to be dealing with this for a long time. And it seems reports from South Africa are saying that, you know, there is a possibility that people who have gotten COVID could get reinfected with Omicron. When I read that headline, you know, it kind of gets me, but I don't really know what that means and what impact that will actually have. I'm not sure if you could speak to that at all. I think the data is too limited right now to make big determinations. You can really get yourself in a panic if you start veering off. And so uh, stick to the CDC, the mainstream media, and the data will come out. And uh, CDC, NIH, the World Health Organization will get the data and then we'll go from there. Right now, there are a lot of opinions going around without much fact. So we need to wait for the facts. I think in a couple weeks, it sounds like the vaccine makers are actually now taking blood from people that got vaccinated and they're testing it against the Omicron variant to see how well the vaccines provide protection against Omicron. We don't know that data yet. You know, we should know it in a month, two to three weeks. So I think it's just way too early to speculate. And then finally, as a doctor, you know, you're quite familiar with these issues, but the layperson like myself might not know how to deal with such uncertainty of, you know, these sorts of things. So I'm not sure if you can recommend what, you know, should people do as we wait and sit in this uncertainty for the final answer to come out on Omicron? I think it's only going to be a few weeks of uncertainty. Um, I think we're going to get answers pretty quickly. And I don't want to hazard a guess, but I think still, if you've been fully vaccinated, things are going to be fine. And I hope the data, you know, plays out to support that. As of Monday, the district has sequenced 8% of all positive cases since the start of the pandemic. Maryland has sequenced just over 5%, and Virginia has done about 2.3%, according to the Global Data Sharing Initiative. On Friday, President Joe Biden's chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, told WTOP that Omicron is not cause for panic, but simply concern. So when you hear of a case that comes up in Virginia or in Chicago or New York, I don't think that there should be an extra level of concern. We should expect that we're going to start to see cases scattered throughout the country. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Luke Garrett. Our cover art was created by cartoonist Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Lockspeed. Join me next Monday as the world recovers.